It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We do want to get a check on your Inauguration Day weather. Bill, how are those winds? Yeah, you can see them already, guys. You can see the flags in the background, some of our reporters, the hair blowing. Yesterday, as dawn broke across America, Donald Trump woke up in the White House for the last time. Banned from Twitter, he'd been unusually quiet for a few days. But as he left the White House and the presidency, he more than made up for it. The president said his goodbye, but he hopes it's not a long-term goodbye. We're seeing Marine One now fly away from the White House for the last time, carrying Donald Trump as president of the United States. And with the flutter of helicopter propellers, he boarded Marine One, off to make one final speech as president. For the first time since 1869, there would be no welcoming words for his successor. As we watch this, I'm struck because we have this wide vantage point of the White House and the whole complex. And if you look to the top left of your screen, and you, if you were to see the street right across is Blair House. Mm. And Blair House is where the president-elect Joe Biden is right now. And that is as close as the outgoing president and the incoming president will come today. This picture you see right there. The things that we've done have been just incredible. And I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. Two presidents, two speeches, no interaction. With Air Force One waiting to whisk him away, he made one final presidential address at an Air Force base, and not for the first time. He threw away the script. I want to thank all of the great people of Washington, D.C., all of the people that we worked with to put this miracle together. So, have a good life. We will see you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. As Joe Biden addressed the world as the President of the United States of America, Donald Trump was on a flight to Florida. At this hour, my friends... Democracy has prevailed. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, two presidents, two speeches, and an uncivil war.
I'd never seen Washington like this before. Sarah Baxter writes the American diary for the Sunday Times. It's full of soldiers. There haven't been this many troops in the city since the Civil War, which is astonishing, really. Sarah used to live and work in Washington, D.C., as the Sunday Times Washington correspondent. But the city is barely recognisable now. The streets are deserted. You see police vehicles everywhere, the sound of sirens. I can hear something passing in the dim background just now, but every so often it bursts through. Piercing sounds. Right now there's huge fencing encircling all of the Capitol, the Mall, the White House. I went down to see the White House. The closest you could get was a small Black Lives Matter protest out there with lots of banners saying things like, Florida, you're welcome to Trump. The city has said goodbye to a president that it never really took a shine to. Washington, D.C. itself is a heavily democratic town. He was, in any case, a New Yorker and always seemed like an aberration to Washingtonians. And this surreal departure in the midst of a city that is under such tight lockdown is very strange indeed. Sarah wasn't the only Times journalist walking the streets of D.C. and finding it rather surreal. So I'm John Pina. I present the Drive Time programme on Times Radio. I'm here in Washington, D.C. for our week of coverage of the inauguration. So, John, when did you get there? So I got to uh, D.C. late on Saturday. By the time I got downtown, quite soon after arriving, you could see all around you the evidence of security outside my experience, certainly in this country, with eight-foot fences topped by razor wire. There were thousands of National Guards. D.C. had been militarised, essentially, but the, but the streets were quiet. Now, a lot of that had to do with the pandemic, but it also had to do with this extraordinary, extraordinary security. So I went down there having arrived to see what I could see, to talk to who I could talk to. You know, extraordinary, because it's not a usual piece of equipment for a a political journalist. I I was issued with a bulletproof vest. Now, as it turned out, it was quite useful because it was quite warm and it was very cold in Washington, D.C. And mercifully, there was absolutely no other need to wear such, such a thing. It was very quiet. But that was considered necessary. Well, it's kind of standard issue for a journalist going into what is potentially a hazardous area. But it was eerily, eerily quiet. At a certain point, I think I'm pretty sure I saw one TV crew interviewing another TV crew. But it says something, doesn't it? That the fact that there has been no major disorder, there's been certainly no terrorist, domestic terrorist outrage, that comes as a considerable relief. What a thing to say about America. What a thing to say about Washington, D.C. at the time of a new presidential inauguration. John armed with his microphone and a bulletproof vest, found the residents of D.C. on edge. I I directly see some of the violence that comes into the city. I I saw it a few weeks ago. I'm an emergency room physician here at the hospital. Um, It's terrible. We saw it last summer when it was uh, police attacking mostly peaceful protesters with tear gas and rubber bullets. And now we're seeing kind of an outside force coming to our city and that's the scarier part, that it doesn't feel like it's, it's from here. This isn't something that we're used to. That being said, it is something that has always been in America. We know it's there. I think it's better that we all just seem to know about it now. I think it's always been there. It's been brewing for years. So now everyone's talking about it. And to be honest, I see the National Guard and I'm actually relieved by it because I, just last week we did not feel protected. Right. I'm glad that the term domestic terrorism has taken on some has taken on legs because I think for so long we've been talking about it very differently than how we talk about people coming from other places. 
And I think we need to recognize that it's growing here. This is supposed to be the vanguard of the West, the, van, the, the symbol of like the shining beacon on the hill and what's left of that is worrisome. How are we supposed to create ideals of democracy elsewhere if we don't have a functioning one here? So were there real fears that this would spark another round of violence? Oh, definitely, because immediately after the storming of the capital, groups started to announce that this was just the beginning. To some extent, it might still be just the beginning. It's interesting that President Trump said on departing the capital that, you know, he's going to be back, he'll see you around, you know, see you soon, it's not over. So what happened in between, of course, is that the FBI started making arrests. Last week's images of celebratory rioters attacking the United States Capitol were replaced this week by their mugshots. The FBI launched a massive dragnet across the country to track down and arrest many of the people who assaulted... And I think without that, they would have been out in force here. But like a lot of extremists, they're cowards when it comes to their own personal safety. And when they saw this number of troops and all the arrests being made, they backed down. But they're telling their supporters to lie low for a couple of months, don't expect any big rallies, and they'll come back stronger than ever. Now, far-right extremists felt that the president had their back. And without Donald Trump in the White House, will they be as empowered... Some people say that it's like Fort Sumter, which was the first battle in the Civil War, and that things are only going to get worse. But it is possible that Joe Biden, as the sort of 78-year-old president with a lifelong history of bipartisanship, will be able to introduce a period of calm. And Sarah, you've covered inaugurations before. You were there in 2009 when... Obama first took office and, and Joe Biden as his vice president. How does this compare? This couldn't be more different. Are you prepared to take the oath, Senator? I am. I, Barack Hussein Obama, I, do Barack, solemnly swear. I, Barack Hussein Obama, do solemnly swear. I had an amazing, almost front row position, actually. And I was only about 30 yards from the bottom of the podium where Obama was speaking. This is the meaning of our liberty and our creed, why men and women and children of every race and every faith can join in celebration across this magnificent mall, and why a man whose father less than 60 years ago might not have been served at a local restaurant can now stand before you to take a most sacred oath. had amazing view. I was even, you know, ahead of Beyonce and Jay-Z, who were among the celebrity <laughs> guests. And Aretha Franklin sang My Country Tis of Thee. My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. And it felt like a very healing moment. I have dual citizenship and I had spent three years of my childhood in Montgomery, Alabama, you know, where Rosa Parks, the famous yeah. civil rights campaigner, had refused to um, give up her seat on the bus and, you know, where Martin Luther King preached. And for me, being present at that inauguration felt like an, the ushering in of a new era where racial grievance wasn't going to disappear overnight. But what it led to, Manvin, was such a backlash. I mean, almost as soon as he was elected, you had Donald Trump going on about how he had no right to be president. 
Trump kept it going for years. He gave a birth certificate. Now all we have to do is find out whether or not it was real. I was amazed to see how that birther movement really took off mm. and developed steam. But you know, history has a way of rolling on. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. I, Kamala Davy Harris, do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. That I will support and defend the Constitution. And Kamala Harris is now the first woman vice president of America, but also the first person of color. She's the first black woman and first South Asian to be vice president of the United States. It's a bit like King Canute, you can't hold back the tide, but some people are trying. For many Americans watching yesterday, there was an underlying anxiety that America's political tensions might erupt into violence. Something similar had been looming at President Obama's inauguration in 2009, too. What Sarah didn't know that day, and nor did the rest of the world watching, was that in the president's coat pocket was a note he was hoping he wouldn't have to read. Not even the president's speechwriters knew about it, but Michael Chertoff did. My name is Michael Chertoff. I was Secretary of Homeland Security under President George W. Bush. Take me back to an earlier inauguration. Take me back to January 2009. You're the outgoing Secretary of Homeland Security for the George W. Bush administration. You're about to leave office. It's the day before President Obama's first inauguration and you give a very serious warning to the Obama team that there could be an active threat on inauguration day. Tell me about that. Well, we knew coming into the inauguration that this was going to be the first transfer of power after 9-11. We did get what seemed to be, you know, pretty serious, credible information about four Somalis who were allegedly traveling to the U.S. to carry out a terrorist attack on the inauguration. U.S. intelligence sources had been tracking the threat over the weekend. The men had trained with al-Shabaab, an al-Qaeda affiliate in East Africa, and had just come over the border from Canada. And so we worked with the incoming team to warn them and help them prepare for that. Now, I understand you thought the threat was so serious that President Obama was told to have a statement ready in his coat pocket to instruct the crowd to disperse. Tell me about all the contingency plans that you'd come up with. Well, we set up a command centre at the Secret Service headquarters, and I spent most of the day there so that if there was an attack, they could immediately respond, including evacuating the dignitaries and suppressing any bombing or other kind of attack. The command centre was coordinating 40,000 officers and agents. More than a dozen counter-sniper teams had been stationed along the parade route. Meanwhile, Defence Secretary Robert Gates was in a secure location so that he could take over in case the terrorists blew up the president. And we held that in place until later in the day on the 20th when we discovered that, in fact, this plan was not real. Did you ever imagine that 12 years later we'd be talking about threats on the inauguration again, but this time from supporters of the outgoing president? For all we know, Joe Biden has a similar note in his coat pocket this time. Well, I certainly imagined there could be terrorist threats to subsequent inaugurations. I did not envision that it would be mainly from domestic terrorists 
And that's what we face today is in the wake of the January 6th invasion of the Capitol and the effort to injure or kill members of Congress, we had to prepare very, very rigorously for a domestic terror attack on today's ceremony. And what do you think the Secret Services will be on alert for? You know, I mean, how quickly can an event like this turn? What would they be looking for? Well, I think what they did in this case was create such a strong show of force, shutting down some of the bridges into Washington, that basically it deterred any large group from coming in to try to launch an attack. But I do think we'll have heightened security, particularly for public officials, for some weeks and months to come. And tell me, what are the risks? What are the threats that you do worry about for the next few months, potentially? I think if we look at what we've seen from domestic terrorists over the last several years, what you mainly worry about are, for example, small bombs or pipe bombs or active shooters with guns trying to shoot people. And that's, I think, where a lot of the focus is going to be. Right-wing extremists have killed more Americans than jihadis have in the last few years. So I think these are real threats and will be the focus of Homeland Security for this next set of months. I can't speak throughout the entire presidency, but I can certainly say in the short to medium term, I think domestic terrorism will be up there with jihadism as you know one of the main terrorist threats that the Homeland Security Department and the FBI are going to be focusing on. Now, when you were in charge of Homeland Security, the threat was very much foreign. It was about jihadism. It was Islamic terror. You were one of the authors of the Patriot Act, introduced after 9-11 to tighten national security against foreign terrorism. Will they need a spate of new laws in order to be able to deal with domestic threats? Because that's very different. Well, the Patriot Act and what was done after 9-11 was based upon the legal architecture that exists in terms of what Americans can do overseas. But when you're dealing with American citizens or things that are occurring within the U.S. border, there is a different set of rules under the Constitution. So while they're going to want to be collecting information and investigating the possibility of domestic terrorism, I think they will have to take account of the fact that the legal landscape is very different. So I think this is going to be a process of slowly deciding what is appropriate to do so you don't interfere with free speech but you also don't allow people to incite or conspire to commit violence. One of the threats that we've heard being discussed in the run-up to this inauguration was the idea that there might be a threat within. You know, the FBI, we know, was vetting the National Guard up until the last minute. As an unprecedented 25,000 National Guard troops stand at the ready for inauguration, the Pentagon announced that 12 members were taken off security for the event after FBI vetting. We're out of an abundance of caution taking action and uh, immediately removing them from the line of duty uh, at the Capitol. Has there been a rise in far-right extremism within the military? We have seen some circumstances where military veterans or even active military or police have gotten involved with some of these extreme groups. In fact, it's, to be honest, not different than what Germany experienced recently when they had to disband a commando unit that was full of Nazi sympathizers. So I think this is more than just an American phenomenon. You do get a few people, even in positions of security, who sometimes wind up developing extreme ideas. The important thing is to root that out and make sure they can't somehow let that interfere with the workings of the military or the police overall. Back in 2009, at that inauguration, 
You stayed on for an extra six hours, even though you'd left office, just to make sure there was continuity and it all went off safely. What have you made of the transition of power this time round? This is the first time in my lifetime I've seen a president who lost act like a sore loser. And although the people in the departments are working as hard as they can to welcome the incoming administration, the political people around Donald Trump, many of them have been surly and uncooperative. And of course, exhibit A in that is Donald Trump himself. But the good news is the civil servants, the people that Donald Trump always disparages as the deep state, are really loyal Americans who want to welcome the new president and make sure the country is well served. And some of the political figures around Donald Trump who have behaved unusually this time around, people you've worked alongside in previous Republican administrations, for example, Rudy Giuliani, I know you've worked alongside. What do you make of their behaviour in all of this? Well, it's sad to see Rudy Giuliani, who was a very well-regarded prosecutor and obviously achieved fame as the mayor who rallied New York after 9-11, now take a dark turn into conspiracy theory, misinformation, and even incitement of violence. Now, I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't explain what happened in his mind, but it is sad to see someone destroy what would have been a remarkably positive reputation and now become essentially someone who will be regarded with disdain. Looking ahead, you've been in power, you've, you've sort of seen presidents up close, you understand a lot of the challenges that Joe Biden is facing as he comes in. What are your hopes for the next four years? As the president just said in his inaugural. I understand that many of my fellow Americans view the future with fear and trepidation. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war. I hope he's very successful in bringing the country together so we don't treat disagreement as becoming disagreeable. I promise you, I get it. But the answer is not to turn inward, to retreat into competing factions, distrusting those who don't look like you or worship the way you do or don't get their news from the same sources you do. We must end this uncivil war. I hope we don't challenge the loyalty and the truthfulness of those where we may have a difference of opinion. We're willing to stand in the other person's shoes, as my mom would say, just for a moment. Stand in their shoes. I hope we rebuild the civic culture of telling the truth, honoring the Constitution, and respecting each other. This agreement must not lead to disunion. And I pledge this to you. I will be a president for all Americans, all Americans. We'll have more on the inauguration and the transfer of power in just a moment. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and get one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Having assumed power, President Biden now has a hell of a job on his hands. Few people in our nation's history have been more challenged or found a time more challenging or difficult than the time we're in now. Once in a century virus that silently stalks the country has taken as many lives in one year as America lost in all of World War II. Millions of jobs have been lost. Hundreds of thousands of businesses closed. A cry for racial justice a rise of political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. Joe Biden may be hopeful that divides can be bridged, but few transfers of power have been more fraught. For some Americans, the true president is still Donald Trump, and the real White House is now Mar-a-Lago. As a correspondent, normally when you're covering an inauguration, it's all about the incoming president and there are very polite speeches by the outgoing president. There's a polite handing over of power and wishing the next guy well. Today hasn't been anything like that. No, Donald Trump's presidency is always going to be defined by the manner that he left it. It's not just a case of the storming of the Capitol. It's the way that he has never accepted that Joe Biden actually won the election. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. 
right up to his departure yesterday from Andrews Air Force Base, he was still refusing to acknowledge Joe Biden's victory. What we've done has been amazing by any standard. We rebuilt the United States military. We created a new force called Space Force. That in itself would be a major achievement for a regular administration. We were not a regular administration. I hope they don't raise your taxes. But if they do, I told you so. You're going to see incredible numbers start coming in if everything is sort of left alone. Be careful. Very complex. Be careful. But you're going to see some incredible things happening. And uh, remember us when you see these things happening, if you would. Remember us. He will not mention his name. He can tout his own achievements all he likes. But Donald Trump's refusal to endorse his successor and endow Joe Biden with any legitimacy will always reek of being a sore loser and more dangerously, one who's seeking to foment trouble for the future. As the athletes would say, we've left it all in the field. We don't have to. We don't have to come and say, we'll never say in a month when we're sitting in Florida, we're not going to be looking at each other and saying, you know, if we only worked a little bit harder, you can't work harder. There's still things to do. The first thing we have to do is pay our respects and our love to the incredible people and families who suffered so gravely from the China virus. It's a uh, horrible thing that was put onto the world. We all know where it came from, but it's a horrible, horrible thing. So be very careful. Be very, very careful. And it was an extraordinary speech, wasn't it? Do you think it gives us an idea of how Donald Trump is going to approach the next four years of the Biden presidency? He's determined to be a thorn in his successor's side. I doubt he'll ever mention the word President Biden. He'll find some, you know, epithet for him that puts him down. You know, we've had Sleepy Joe before. I don't know if there'll be a new one. Intriguingly, he's talked about founding a new party called the Patriot Party. Now, is that fantasy? I mean, if he does so, Republicans will be furious because it will split their vote and just allow the Democrats to, you know, rule in perpetuity. Donald Trump takes injuries as such sort of personal slights. Plenty of Republicans did indulge him in his fantasy that he'd won the election, but a significant bulk of Republicans refused to go along with it. And he's so incensed by this betrayal of him personally that he would really like to stick it to the Republicans even more than the Democrats. And it could be that his legacy is to divide the party if he's serious about forming his own patriot party. If he feels that he can't be the presence over the water in Florida for the Republican Party, if he can't be kingmaker, if he can't foist his own children on the Republican Party as candidates, he may well take his ball and play elsewhere. Donald Trump started the day with announcing pardons, which we'd all been speculating about for some time. What did you make of them when they came? I thought it was fascinating that after much hooing and hawing, he finally pardoned Steve Bannon, who was one of the authors of his inauguration speech with that terrible evocation of American carnage. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now that was then fulfilled with the storming of the Capitol. Apparently, George W. Bush turned to Hillary Clinton and said, well, that was some weird shit. 
Good presidential language there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm only quoting a former president. So Steve Bannon played a significant part through his then company Breitbart News and his own vision of populism in the rise of Donald Trump. And it's sort of fitting in that sense that he's been pardoned, but also... (laughs) It's interesting to note the crime that he was pardoned for, which he hasn't been found guilty yet, but Bannon was due to go on trial for defrauding gullible donors to a private build-the-wall initiative on the southern border with Mexico. And, you know, what could be more symbolic than pardoning the guy who was bilking his own supporters? A lot of people think that that's what Donald Trump has done to the loyalists who voted for him for years. He sort of betrayed his own supporters. The number of troops on the streets around Washington, the sense of, you know, imminent danger, a country divided, the way everybody, even on Inauguration Day, couldn't help looking at Donald Trump making his wild speeches. Is there a danger that that's actually a metaphor for how a lot of the Biden presidency might end up panning out? Well, there's no question that there are two Americas. There's the bit of America that enthusiastically embraced and uh, voted for Donald Trump, who got the second largest number of votes in history. And the other America that voted for Joe Biden and gave him the largest number of American votes in history. Mm. And this two Americas is very worrying. I mean, I covered a lot of the election from Pennsylvania, where people openly said they expected civil war in the next 10 years. This is why we really don't know whether Donald Trump's departure is the end of something or the beginning of something. Joe Biden has spent a life preaching bipartisanship. He's not particularly radical. He's from the moderate ring of the Democratic Party. Some of his policies, though, on immigration and other matters are going to be challenging for Republicans to accept. But I think he'll be given quite a good period of grace just because of the storming of the Capitol. And after that, bipartisanship is over. Congress is literally split 50-50 with Kamala Harris having to do the casting vote. This is a 50-50 divided nation. And Joe Biden at 78 really has his work cut out at trying to unite a very fractious country. You mentioned the prospect of civil war almost, and you've got more troops on the streets of Washington than anyone's seen since the civil war. How worrying a prospect is that? It sounds fanciful, but a lot of people have arms in this nation and feel very angry. And, you know, one just has to hope that that dissipates under a new presidency because they've been really riled up. I don't want to overdo it because this sounds terribly doom-mongering, but America's past is not that ancient. I mean, this is still a young country. There was an astonishing story recently of the death of the last Civil War widow. This lady only died the other week. That's how close we're within touching distance of the Civil War. My own childhood in Alabama means that I'm in touching distance. I mean, I lived through the era of desegregation. This is all very, very new and raw. And some of these things haven't totally worked themselves out yet in America. We just have to hope that America is such a great democracy and is so resilient that these dark fears will never materialise. But they're there, they're lurking beneath the surface. For John Pienaar, watching on the other side of town, President Biden's inauguration speech set the tone for the rest of his presidency. You don't have to be a a fan of Joe Biden to recognise that there's an authenticity to 
to the man. When he shows empathy, it's because it's real. This is a man who lost his wife and child in a car accident, who lost his beloved son, Beau, to, to serious illness. When he spoke about his son, when he was there at the dedication of a, of a National Guard base to his son in Delaware just, just the other day, there were tears streaming down his face. He doesn't need to fake this stuff. Look, uh, you know, you've all, uh, it's kind of emotional for me. But look, you're with me my whole career and uh, through the good times and the bad. I want to thank you for everything to my fellow Delawareans on behalf of the entire Biden family. And again, like everything else we've been discussing, man, what a contrast with the outgoing president, Donald Trump. It's hard to emphasize just how different this is to any other inauguration. We've had Donald Trump storming off in a, in a helicopter, delivering his own rather remarkable speech. Is this a metaphor for the next four years? How much is the Biden presidency going to be in the shadow of Donald Trump and the threat of Trump supporters? Well, I guess they're two different things. When we talk about Trump supporters, we are looking at the the way America is split and, and trying at least to heal those divides is very high on Joe Biden's agenda. I think that's one of the defining features of the, the mission he's taking on. As far as Donald Trump himself is concerned, you won't see Joe Biden refer to Donald Trump by name, I think, anywhere. He has enough on his own plate as the new 46th president to waste a great deal of energy talking about the 45th president. I'm not sure it would serve him very well. He has too much and maybe better things to do. Ladies and gentlemen, the president-elect of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. and Dr. Jill Biden. Joe Biden woke up yesterday morning a regular citizen. And by the afternoon, he was president. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. President. A host of celebrities took to the stage, performing in celebration. And Joe Biden, 32 years after his first attempt to run, realised his dream of becoming president of the United States of America. Together, we shall write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness, a story of decency and dignity love and healing, greatness and goodness. May this be the story that guides us, the story that inspires us, and the story that tells ages yet to come that we answered the call of history. We met the moment. Democracy and hope, truth and justice did not die in our watch but thrive. That America secured liberty at home and stood once again as a beacon to the world. That is what we owe our forebearers, one another and generation to follow. So, with purpose and resolve, we turn to those tasks of our time, sustained by faith, driven by conviction, and devoted to one another and the country we love with all our hearts. May God bless America and may God protect our troops. Thank you, America. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Times Radio presenter John Pienaar, Sarah Baxter from The Sunday Times, and former U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff. 
The producers today were Leona Hamid and James Shield. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. If you can, please do leave us a review. And if you'd like to get in touch about anything you've just heard or anything you'd like to hear on a future episode, then please do send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.